What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 546 of Combos Court, and I am Combo. Today's episode, Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown joins in to talk. Is Darvin Ham on the hot seat? Possible Warriors trades? And the Clippers continue to surge. Shouts to our sponsor, Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. For a first deposit match up to $100, use code combo that's right use code combo for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars i'll leave a link in the show notes for that if you'd like to watch this episode in its entirety combos court episodes are now available on the nba report youtube channel i'll leave a link in the description for that as well let's get into it coach nick b-ball breakdown this is not our first time around the rodeo. How are things? <laughs> They're good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Combo. Anytime. So I really wanted to get into some coaching around the league, specifically on the West Coast, specifically when it comes to the Warriors and the Lakers. Darvin Ham might not be on the hot seat, but it seems like things are warming up. How much of their turmoil yeah, they just got blown out by the Suns, by the way. How much of their struggles have been because of the players? How much of it has been from the coaches? It's always a hard question to ask, but you really dive into the video. So it's great to have you here to talk about that. Well, you know, uh, he was uh, there was a lot of stuff leaking. And then Bleacher Report reported this morning that uh, he is not on the hot seat or they're behind him and yada, yada, which usually means he's, he's not going to make it. Uh, but well, actually, what usually that means is when you have like the GM come out and say we're behind him, that is usually the sign that they're not behind him. But that hasn't happened. A hundred percent. When so, I was when I was playing overseas, they used to say if somebody comes out saying that the coach will not be fired, there's a good chance that he will be fired. Right. But there's probably a good chance they're going to make a move at some point if they can get value out of anybody they have on the team. Um, which might be what they're kind of counting on. Like, okay, maybe it's not going well. Darvin Ham isn't leading perfectly, uh, but maybe we'll just switch up the locker room a little bit and that might help everything. And that, that's been a recipe for them for a little while. So um, that might be the thing. But yeah, it's, um, it's a problem when you have uh, AD and LeBron playing, you know, or at least filling up the box score like they normally do and still not producing enough wins. Um, it's an interesting conundrum because what do you have? Like, why isn't it better um, and I think that part of it is, you know, is LeBron isn't in the same LeBron. His impact is not the same, even though he's still able to do uh, a lot of the things that we're used to seeing him do. And, uh, an AD is always sort of in the limited factor is that he is a guy that has to rely on everyone else to set him up, right? He's got to roll and get the ball. He's got to post up and get the ball. He ain't going to create out the dribble and do that kind of stuff. So he can get lost sometimes. Um, and I, you know, that's the biggest problem. And then plus they're just getting lit up on the defensive end, uh, off of by, with threes, and um, I'm about to dive into that a little bit to see a little bit more, but I know I'm going to see helping one pass away. I know I'm going to see a lot of middle penetration. I know I'm going to see like um, pushing up the court for open threes and transition. So all that stuff is effort to some degree, but it could also be the, the lack of attention to detail, which then falls on the coach. So what do you think they could do differently defensively? I know you haven't tapped all the way into the video, but from what you're seeing lately. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a big one is, 
Um, you know, I'm a big no middle coach. And a lot of that has to do with just the mindset of how you want to defend on the wing, particularly, and then also your footwork, well, how your feet are positioned. And, you know, a lot of times at the NBA level, you don't have practice, you don't have a lot of time to be putting that stuff in, and the players kind of forget, and then they're subject to a, a jab step to the baseline, they move down that way, and then all of a sudden, they're into the lane in the middle, and then everyone's collapsed, and then they're kicking out, and then there's all open threes. And when you give, you know, a, a bad shooter an open three, uh, they can that suddenly becomes a little bit better of a shooter, right? Like when they're that open, uh, they've given up the most wide open threes than anybody in the league. And uh, that's a really big problem when you're constantly trying to catch up and have long closeouts. Um, you know, if you're not long enough to get there, and they have like guys like Vanderbilt that can uh, help off and then get back and still contest pretty well. But some of the other guys aren't as effective. Like, you know, Reeves doesn't have that kind of ability to do that. Um, D'Lo doesn't do it like that. So um, they got enough players out there that are kind of struggling to be able to re recover. And uh, you cannot win in this league if you're going to give up the most wide open threes in the league. Player-wise, roster-wise, do you see an archetype of player that the Lakers should be looking for uh, within the trade zeitgeist? Ah, the zeitgeist of the trades. Uh, you need like a three and D, you know, they need a guy that can, you know, uh, to be a, a much better perimeter defender for them, but also can shoot, you know, so Vanderbilt's the guy who, you know, there isn't able to do that. He cannot shoot. He's not a, doesn't have any gravity. He causes some problems on them with him on the offensive end. Um, so you need someone like that. And OG is, was gotten already. So he's not available. Uh, but that's the kind of guy you'd be looking for. Exactly. I mean, listen, every team wants OG. They, they and, and, uh, it was funny because before the trade happened, people were like, well, maybe he really isn't that good. I mean, everyone's talking about him all these years. But I think that we're seeing his impact on the, on the Knicks right now has been pretty profound. Um, and so I think that all those people are wrong. Um, and you need a guy like that who's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, who can defend and you can just, you know, spot up in the corner for them. That would be what they need. So it seems like everyone should be worried about the Lakers. But I would say the Warriors should even be more worried. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that they have less. I mean, you know, you, at least the Lakers have LeBron and AD. Right now, uh, the Warriors have only Steph and nobody else that can really, you know, create off the dribble at all for them. Uh, they're a bit listless. I watched the first quarter, and not even the first quarter of the New Orleans Pelicans game. And it's just frustrating because it's the, the turnovers have always been the same issue, but you can overcome turnovers when you, you know, are shooting the lights out. And uh, they're not really doing that either. The, the shot selection from three isn't great a lot of the time. And, um, you know, Kaminga, there's a big thing about he went to the press. He wanted more playing time. He thought he deserved it, yada, yada. And there are moments where he can fill up the box score for sure. But there are equal moments where he does the dumbest things you can imagine, throwing the ball away, uh, fouling. And um, and I could see why Steve Kerr wouldn't have the utmost confidence in him to give him those 32 minutes a game that he wants. And especially down the stretch where you got to, you know, you have to play perfectly with this team. So um, it's a flawed roster. They, they're they going to make a move without question uh, sooner than later. And I, that's the other issue, issue. You know, they have to shore up that CP3 is injured and fractured his wrist. And so he's out for a while. Um, they need to probably figure that out. But then CP3 will be back. But I, you can't rely on, on Chris Paul anymore. He, he will probably get injured again. I hate to say it like that. I don't normally talk in those terms, but. I don't know. The guy just just can't seem to stay healthy. So uh, that's a big issue. They got to shore up, but they need somebody. You know, Looney looks slow. Um, he can't cover the ground like he used to defensively. And so uh, they don't have enough speed. They need more speed. I mean, it doesn't seem like Clay, Wiggins, Looney, CP3 have any trade value. Uh, you mentioned some of the negative sides of what Kaminga has been doing lately. With that said, do you feel like he's their biggest trade piece? 
Yeah, for sure. Him and Moses Moody probably still have some value in there because he's young. Um, you know, I mean, listen, they started out with with, with uh, Pizmensky, Pizemski, uh guarding uh, uh, Zion. Like the, the the lineup they had out there was not conducive to defending the Pelicans, and they got blown out the gym. And by the way, Zion didn't even like kill him, but it was like the, the fact that they had to rotate and double extra hard on those possessions when he was trying to post up uh, just put everybody out of position. So yeah, the, the, it's a flawed roster. I, I feel bad because you know someone like Clay just doesn't really have it, and he can bring it every once in a while, every like fourth game. Maybe he can remind us a little bit of what he used to be, but it's just not enough. Um, and it's uh, it's troubling. You know, it's it's too bad they got in this position, but uh, here we are. How do you feel about the criticism when it comes to Kurt not leaning into the youth? Well, I mean, I think I mentioned a little bit with the Kaminga thing where. He doesn't have the trust because Kaminga doesn't give him the trust because he still makes mistakes that he shouldn't be making at this juncture of his career. I think that's the issue. He's obviously uh, developed and he's gotten better, but decision-making has not at this level. What is he in his third or fourth year now? It needs to be better by now, uh, especially because they want to rely on him. So that's one. Moses Moody's a little bit of a conundrum. I don't know why he's not getting more consistent minutes either. And I think part of it is, is you know, they want to be able to play clay and, uh, I think that you have to cut his minutes. I, I think it would help everybody if they did. Um, but, you know, and then Moody is also up and down to some degree. You could argue that he is that way because he doesn't get consistent minutes, but he certainly is a better decision maker than Kaminga. And so I would I would feel better, you know, with him out there anyway, would have trust in him to, to play well and not make a lot of mistakes. So that's another one. I mean, listen, pajemski has been playing a lot. He's starting like, you know, you can't say they're not ignoring or they're ignoring all the youth. Uh, he's getting a shot and he's okay. He's, he's solid. He's okay. But um, I think he's a lot better when the other guys around him are better. And that's what's uh, what the struggle is right now. He's not as good as Jaime Hawkins, but he feels like he's there, Jaime Hawkins. I don't even think they'd want to move off of him in a trade. Yeah. I mean, listen, depending on what the trade is, obviously you'd have to if it was a good enough trade. If it but... was like a Pascal package, they'd probably have to move off him. Yeah, but I mean, with, with, without even a second thought. And again, I don't know if the Pascal thing is a great fit. He's not a good shooter. Um, you read, know, and, read, and re read and react type office doesn't seem to be the right fit for Pascal, right? Yeah, I we were worried that he'd fit. He, how well he, would he fit in in their motion? So, yeah, but, you know, it, they need an upgrade in talent. So that would do it partly. But um, I don't I don't know if Siakam's the guy. We talked about Brogdon in, on our pod uh, about yeah. a nice fit to replace CP3 for those minutes. Um, that would be the one thing I would do, but I don't, I don't think that they're that excited about him either. So, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do here other than, you know, I mean, they're going to try, they're, they're going to try and make a trade. It's just an interesting question. Cause like, I don't, can't picture who else, who else would they target that really gets them back into contention. Yeah. I like Brogdon for the Knicks. I think a Knicks need the six man replacement for quickly. I would look at, um, Sexton, Jordan Crawford, not Jordan Crawford, um, Jordan Clarkson. Or uh, Brogdon. They need that six-man scoring punch with quickly out. I don't know if that makes them legit contenders, but I think it definitely takes them closer to that range. Yeah, I mean, Clarkson is, uh, I, I don't know, um, you know, how well Bro he was. Brogdon's fit. the best fit, I think, there. Yeah, and so, but who would they have to give up to get Brogdon? Who would they have to give up? Um, yeah. Let me think. Yeah. It's a good question. It is a good question. You know, like the quick, quick quickly would have been the guy, but they, but they don't. That wouldn't have been. A yeah, guy. but then if you have quickly, you don't even need that exactly position exactly. anymore. So, yeah. Um. You know, I don't know. By the way, what does Portland want anyway? Obviously, they're going to want like at least one number one pick. I'd imagine. Um, yeah, probably yeah, picks. Now pick and a. Uh, you know, they they have something. I mean, it's too bad. Like Mitchell Robinson is hurt because. Like, but then again, they know they already have eight and they, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't work either, but he, he's not a bad trade package considering that Hartenstein is really kind of coming to his own.
Yeah, Hardestad's been good. He's been playing that like Draymond type role, connecting the team together on the offensive side. I think that's really important when you have players like Randall and um, Brunson. Yeah, can you get the AI to find the pod that we did like last year and me talking about Hardenstein and liking him so much? I know no, like, we, we uh, both like I liked him since I saw him in summer league like three years ago. I thought he was great. I'm like, this guy's a yeah. legit NBA player. And I and I kind of get why you look at him and think, oh, he's a little bit gawky and, and whatever, not uncoordinated, but he really isn't. And he really is. Um, you know what it is? It's sort of like his shoulders are hunched forward a little bit and it just kind of looks weird, but like he moves great. He makes great decisions. He can really play defense and, um, and has a lot of energy on that end. And then offensively, he's a much more of a threat than uh, Robinson was. So right. a, a nice, I mean, listen, it, it, I guess it had to take the injury to, to get him in the lineup as much as he has, but at least they figure that out. You know that I think with Tibbs, Mitchell fits, Mitch fits a lot better than Hartenstein because he's just more of a defensive minded player, you know? I think Thibodeau takes it to more consideration like defense and rebounding than connecting the team and skill level and things to that effect. All right. Well, all I know is I'm going through the OG footage to do a video, and all I keep seeing is Hartenstein making defensive plays over and over again. So, you know, I don't know if uh, if if Robinson is that much more effective than this guy. He's long, he's, he's active, uh, all those things. So uh, you get a much better trade-off with that. So, you know, Robinson, unfortunately, it, had he been healthy, would be a great trade uh, asset for them. What do you think about Darko's recent comments? The eyes, Coach Nick. The eyes were Oh yeah, he intense. was Um I'll tell you one thing. A guy with eyes like that, you better not say the T word around him. And I mean tank. I don't think that guy's a tanking type coach. I know they're in a rebuild, but that guy's not gonna tank. Yeah, but also it's a good look. It's a good look to do that and make yeah, yeah, you have your guys back. Uh, I went through the video. I just did a video on it. So go over and watch the b-ball breakdown and watch it if you can. Um, and check out the live shows on there as well. They're really good. The live shows on b-ball breakdown. Yeah. Those live shows. Yeah. Yeah. Check those out too. So um, <laughs> the, um, the, so the video, I mean, I went through a lot of the calls and like, okay, where were the calls that the OG did not get? And there was only like one where he goes hard to the basket and dunks uh, on Christie where they didn't call and they really probably should have. But I also think that maybe, they just didn't want to get involved at the very end of the game where they, I think they were down by five. So it was like, all right, you're just going to go to the dunk and whatever. So, you know what I mean? Like, but that ended up being big because it did get really close at the end. So, I, you know, the whole thing with the Lakers and getting more free throws and getting more, better foul treatment is a thing out there, right? Which is a little bit different than what Darko was saying. Darko was, I guess, more focused on not getting the calls for his team. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there really wasn't a, a ton that I saw that was anything out of the ordinary. And then um, on the other side, the Lakers had some gripes that I showed. Like, they, they they didn't call fouls for them either. So, you know, it didn't really strike me as anything that crazy. And you have to remember, the vantage point from the coach from the bench where the coach stands is not great at all. Huge players running by, getting your way. The refs getting your way. So it's not often easy to see what exactly happened. And you certainly can't trust the the uh, players' reactions because, I mean, I, I don't know if I showed it, but I had, like, there's a couple, like, a Schroeder uh, would, would, would react big, and you're like, there was not even any contact at all. So, um, you know, a lot of times the players will react as if they got fouled when there was nothing uh, to be called. So uh, I think both teams had some gripes about some calls they missed, but it didn't seem anything out of the ordinary. But always nice to see, you know, when a coach detonates like that. It's also fair to say that the Lakers, even with all their struggles, they're really good at getting to the line and they're good at playing defense without the opponent getting to the line. Do you see that in the video? 
Yeah. No, I mean, they've always been good at that. That's the reason why, because remember, with a free throw disparity, it's not just that you're drawing fouls and getting the line. It's that you're not putting them on the line. Mm -hmm. You know, and we talked about this last season. It's like when you have guys like D'Lo who are not really good defenders, well, guess what? They're not going to foul much either. So, like, that's almost a weird benefit for them. Um, but I did the stats. I just tweeted it out. Let me grab it real quick because I wanted to see what the benefit was in the win-loss column in terms of, uh, you know, when they get a lot more free throws than the other team. So, um, right now, over the last three seasons, two, two and then this one, two and a half seasons, uh, when they shoot six or more attempts uh, from the free throw line a game uh, or in a game than, than their um, opponent, they're 43 and 40. So that's mm. a 51.8 winning percentage, right? So that's, that's something. And when they when they shoot less than that, when they get five more or less than that other opponents, they're they're uh, 56 and 80, so 41%. So there is a pretty big drop-off in winning percentage uh, when they get six or more. Now, the only thing, though, is, is like, is 51.8% like that significant of, a, of an advantage or not, right? It's I, I would have thought it would be a lot higher. So that's the issue I think I have here is that, like, even though, you know, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, theorist and say, oh, they're trying to help them win, like, they're still not winning that many of those games. The Clippers are surging, Coach Nick. And when they were struggling right after the James Harden trade, everybody was talking about them. And now there's a little talk about them because Kawhi extended, but I don't hear as much with this Clippers team surging in the right direction. Why not? They just had, I mean, I know they lost to the Lakers and they had kind of a crazy ending, but uh, they're still, they've still the hottest team in the league. I but think. that's what I'm saying. But they're the hottest, but not the hottest talking point. Yeah. Maybe that's my fault. I, well, I did the video <laughs> and, um, I wish what do you, what do you see? What do you see from the video? Oh, I mean, listen, uh, here's the thing. You got James Harden as the as the head of the snake uh, running uh, terrific stuff. And he, the, my favorite part of this all is that um, and it was in contrast to the, the video I did where they, I showed um, the, the Suns and how the Suns attacked. So they're really utilizing their offense and all of their players to generate good shots. So it's I know they'll have their uh, moments of ISO, obviously, because you have guys like Harden and PG and Kawhi who want to do that and are great at it. But, uh, you know, you, what you're seeing a lot now is using um, the um, Harden Zubots pick and roll to collapse everything and kick out. And then you're going to get like, man, just lighting it up from three in the last five, six games for, for because of that. And you're seeing the ball movement a lot better. So they're just a much more dangerous team offensively because of that. Because imagine that you, you know, Harden collapses the defense, kicks it, and then they make one more pass. And it's to Paul George, who's now attacking a long closeout. Like, that's awesome for him versus having to do a 10 dribble ISO over someone's, you know, outstretched arm, which he can still do a little bit of. So they've been able to really uh, find those moments where, like, Harden can rest a little bit, PG can rest a little bit, why can be just flowing in an offense. It looks beautiful that way. Then on the other end, geez, you got, you know, you have Kawhi, you have PG. Harden every once in a while on the ball will be really good defensively. Um, you know what I mean? They have uh, Zubats is good protecting the rim. Um, Man is good playing defense. So they they have everything they need uh, on both sides of the ball. And so um, and when, when, when they're running the offense like that and the ball is moving like they are, uh, they've got to be one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to get out of the West. Last question. Who is the favorite, in your opinion, in the West, not named Denver? That would be it. The Clippers have to be who I would pick without question. Um, and again, no one's talking about that. I suppose I'll have to do maybe another video a little bit later about that uh, if people want to watch it. Um, because, yeah, you, we need to take these guys seriously. They're, uh, Kawhi and PG are now you know playing most of the games because that was a big thing. They were not. They were either injured or load management, whatever, for this whole time they've been together.
So now that we see what we have, um, you know, it, it, there, there isn't the other the key here. I want to say is the, is the defense because you have two guys at six, seven, six, eight, like PG and Kawhi. It's such an advantage defensively because now they can cover a lot of different kind of players and cover for each other. Uh, it makes it so hard uh, to st- to score and get good shots against them. And plus, you know, Ty Lue is a terrific coach, has really good uh, schemes to take away stuff and adjust. So you add all that together, the Clippers have to be the favorites, uh, you know, if the, if the Nuggets aren't, aren't 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 operating on all cylinders. Coach Nick, great stuff. Where can we find all your great videos and your amazing live shows with your great co-host? That's right. Well, if you type in the, the letters B B A L L B ball, it'll autofill the B ball breakdown right away. Probably your first choice, and that's where you go on YouTube. That's how you find it. Um, Twitter has been a crazy thing these days. I mean, Bleacher Report just shared my uh, thing on uh, my tweet on IG. They didn't they didn't tag me. That would have been nice if they would have tagged my IG. But I'm gonna get back on IG and post more there. Uh, I'll take a lesson from Combo and uh, and and maybe get some AI going. Um, so I need to do that. I love that AI stuff that you have, right? With the, uh, the, the text on the screen. That's really yeah, cool. Show yeah. me how to do that. But anyway, so it's b-ball breakdown everywhere you go. The biggest conversation daily would be Twitter, but then obviously the videos are all on YouTube. Coach Nick, you're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Thank you so much, Combo. Can't wait. There it was. Five, four, six is in the books. Big shouts to Coach Nick for joining in. Big shouts to the NBA report for having this episode in its video version on YouTube. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. And, of course, shouts to our sponsor, Prize Picks for a first deposit match up to $100. Use code COMBO. That's right. Use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Be on the lookout for episode 547 COMBO out.